welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to have a very intimate story. Um, my guest has written a book called Diary of a Schizo Bitch. Yes, you heard me right, Diary of a Schizo Bitch. And um, the Schizo Bitch is Lily Bennett. That is not her real name, but that's the name that she has been using. It's a pen name. And um, for obvious reasons, that is the name that she has been using. So we will we will continue with that, and one of the obvious, maybe it's not so obvious, but um, it will be as we go on. Um, she is actually we're going to be talking about you know the diagnosis and whether it really is schizophrenia or whatever, but um, she is completing her master's in marriage and family therapy. She has accepted a postgraduate position, and she wants to do therapy with schizophrenics, and also she has been doing therapy with um, people with autism, and uh, she is a wife and mother of two cats. So um, with that, we will get right into Lily's story. Uh, thank you, first of all, for sharing your story with us. Uh, it thank is, you. It's, uh, you know, it's not every day that somebody with that diagnosis um, is so writes a book about their whole their story and their life, and is so open about it. Um, the the book just a little spoiler alert for my listeners. The book um, starts with her with a fire in her house, which happened when she was 15 years old in the summer between her freshman and sophomore years in high school. Um, and it was from then on that she started having psychotic symptoms. But I want to start a little earlier than that, uh, Lily, I w- because okay. I want to understand. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, I only read, I've only read the beginnings of the book, the first few chapters. Um, but, you know, just knowing how you are completing a degree in ma- marriage and family therapy and you were graduated from high school even after this uh, event, you know, after you had started to get ill. Granted, that was between your freshman and sophomore year, but still you managed to be graduated with a 4.0. So I will admit, as a psychiatrist, the first thing that that sort of stuck out to me was, what? She can't really be schizophrenic. (laughs) But we'll get to that. Right. So, So I want to understand... Um, more, more of your life before fifteen and the fire. Okay. So where were you born? So what do you want to know? Where were you born? I was born in Wisconsin, which my husband gets irritated with because um, I'm from Minnesota, and Minnesota and Wisconsin kind of have that rivalry. Um, okay. But I was born in Wisconsin, lived there for about a year, and then I moved to Minnesota and. Um, have lived there all my life, and I've lived throughout the Twin Cities area, and it's, I love Minnesota. I'm a Minnesotan at heart. Uh-huh. So tell me about your family when you were growing up. Um, so I have 
a brother, a sister, and my mom and dad. And um, growing up, it was very challenging, um, especially with the autism diagnosis. I um, didn't understand what was going on with me. Even at a young age, I knew something was different about me. And at that age, I felt like something was wrong. So I, you know, would have huge arguments and meltdowns with my siblings because I didn't know how to regulate my emotions at that age. And my parents, I love them so much, but they didn't have a clue how to um, raise a child with autism. And the resources... 20 years ago aren't the same that we have today. And so they were trying so hard, but they didn't have adequate information and they didn't have the training um, to deal with it. So there were a lot of um, arguments. There were a lot of um, tensions and just a lot going on in my household growing up. Uh-huh. And how old were you when you were diagnosed with autism? Um, I think if I remember correctly, I was diagnosed around the age of three. My aunt actually picked up on it before my parents. My parents thought I was quirky, but my aunt, being a nurse, said, you know, I, I think there's something more to it. I think you should get her checked out. So I got diagnosed relatively early, and there was a lot of interventions that went in, but of course, I don't remember them very well since I was so young. Um, But yeah, I was diagnosed around three, and I didn't find out until I was in high school. Huh. What do you mean? How did you find out? Well, so there was kind of like stages of learning that I had autism, so... Um, when I was in middle school, you know, I asked my dad, like, why was I in special education growing up? And he's like, oh, you know, you had a learning disability, but you grew out of it. And my mom tried to say something, but he hushed her. And then uh-huh. later on, um, I asked, okay, what's the learning disability? And this was a year later. And he said, PDD. And then I was like, okay. So I was telling people, I have a learning disability, I have PDD, and I didn't know what it was, so later on I decided to Google. So this was like a year or two after that, and then I was like, oh, it's under the autism umbrella. That makes sense, wait, and wait, then wait, wait, it took me a while wait, to realize. Wait, wait a second, so wait, maybe I'm just, what did he say, what was the ADD, or what are you saying? PDD, Pervasive Developmental Disorder. Oh, PDD, yes, okay, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. So in high school, were you also in special ed classes? No, I wasn't. Um, my dad was very adamant in fourth grade or so that I should be taken out just because, you know, I had a reading specialist and all these people working with me, and it got to the point where I was... Pre- doing better academically than my peers. And he said, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> I, she doesn't need this. Give it to somebody else who um, needs it more than she does. Uh-huh. Okay. So, we, and, and up before 15, were you ever taking any therapy for the, um, for the autism? Were you involved? I mean, you said interventions, but do you mean... Was it were any was there any psychotherapy or was it all sort of more educational kinds of uh, interventions? 
So that's a good question. Um, I was involved more in educational interventions. The therapy was for different reasons. Um, I went to therapy more for depression, anxiety, and later on psychosis, um, but it wasn't necessarily autism-focused therapy. Um, but I had a lot of speech therapy, OT, but it wasn't psychotherapy, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Okay, so not until after the fire at 15 did you get psychotherapy. Right, and I mean, I had um, wanted to go to therapy when I was in middle school, and I brought it up to my mom, and I had one session with a therapist, and I hated her, and I didn't go back until the fire, so. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh, okay. All right, and... um, now, are your parents still together? No, they got a divorce. When you were how old? So they got a divorce um, right around the time the book was coming out. So I was 21 when they said they were getting a divorce, and then it was finalized when I was 22. Because the reason why I ask is because in your acknowledgments, um, you thank your mother and sister for their support, and mm-hmm. um, you didn't mention your dad, so nor your brother, now that I know you have a brother. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, what's funny about that is I didn't even, like, consciously realize I did that, but I think it goes to show that I had a lot of resentment towards my father and my brother um, upon writing it because I didn't realize until after I wrote it that I didn't thank them. Uh-huh. So... Even starting before the fire, were there, were you not as, were you resentful of them? Yeah, I mean, I was resentful for them for different reasons. My dad um, was just very angry, and um, he and I would get into arguments a lot, and then my brother was just very distant, and I didn't get to see him very often, and we didn't really get along when we did try to see each other. Um, but it's funny, since the book came out, like, I'm a lot closer to my dad than I am with my mom. But when I was writing the book, I was definitely yeah. closer to my mom. So yeah. things change, I that's guess. Yeah, that's interesting. How, how, so how old are you now? I'm 24. Okay. And how old, uh, how many years older or younger are your brother and sister? So my sister is 21. She'll be 22 in August. And then um, my brother is 17. He's going into his senior year of high school, so I'm excited for him. Um, Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, okay. So, you know, because, of course, that's that's interesting and important to know um, in terms of, of, how you were before the fire happened, you know, like what, right. what your, what was going on in your family, what was going on in your life, um, uh, you know, because people would have a different reaction. People do have different reactions to trauma, as I'm sure you know, um, depending mm-hmm. upon who they are before the trauma happened. Right. And, you know, there's been other people in my family who've experienced house fires and they get confused, like, why I had this reaction. But I think I was all 
ready, set up to have that reaction beforehand. Um, and it took me a lot of years to figure that out. Because of the autism diagnosis? Um, because of that and a lot of other things, I think, well, one is autism, it has a lot of genes associated with it, and one of those genes is also associated with schizophrenia, so a lot of people with schizophrenia also have autism. Um, another thing is that, you know, I was just a very depressed kid, and I didn't, you know, handle things very well, so just my emotional... Um, side of me was coming out after the fire. So what was making you depressed beforehand? Um, I think it was mostly social things. Um, my relationships with my p- parents weren't great and their relationships together weren't great. Um, you know, I n- knew something was wrong in their marriage a long time. Um, before mm-hmm. they got the divorce. And then there was just a lot of bullying that happened growing up because, you know, I didn't have good social skills and the kids were like, what is wrong with her? And so, you know, they there was a lot of bullying and huh. there was also just a lot of anxiety because I felt like something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And I felt like everybody knew it. And surprisingly, I was right. <laughs> so, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, hmm. that, uh, that speaks to what happens when parents, you know, they think they're, they think they're um, being kind or that it's easier, but sometimes it's important to tell more of the truth about something. Well, um, right. Well, um, I don't know where, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a break in four minutes, so I'm trying to figure out where to where to go beforehand. Um, I mean, because one thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to the fire that, you know, you talked about being, uh, being anxious and depressed and so on. And you, in your book, you tell this interesting story <laughs> about <laughs> Timmy Tacto, which, um, an analyst could have a field day on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Timmy Tic actually. Yeah. Tic Tac. What did um, I say? Tic Tac Toe or something? Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's okay. People get it mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, obviously there were some. Did, have you, um, and, you know, I, I, am a psych, I am a psychoanalytically oriented psychiatrist. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I was, I was delighted to read that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure over the years, since presumably you have had. Therapy, as you seem to indicate, after the fire, and I'm sure you've heard a lot, but not. But um, did anybody uh, analyze that that um, that story that you wrote at seven? (laughs) Not at all, actually. Um, My cousin and I uh, we talk about it, but my cousin isn't a therapist, and she's the only person I talk about it with because. You know, when we were seven, we were coming up with stories, and this is the only story we really remember that well. And so whenever, you know, she's thinking this about the past and getting all nostalgic, she brings up that story, and we talk about it. But I've never actually had somebody psychoanalyze the story. 
Okay, well, <laughs> maybe we'll save that for a little later. We'll go to the fire okay. first. I'll give you a chance to, <laughs> chance to, <laughs> to think about that. Or, um, okay. So, well, why don't you, okay, why don't, in the, in the time we have left before the break, why don't we at least set the stage for the fire? You were 15 years old and, and set the stage for it. Okay. So I was 15 years old. Um, I was on summer break. I was, you know, pretty bored that day. Uh, My family was all gone doing stuff, and I was at home watching the dog. And I was watching Grey's Anatomy on DVR, and I was um, really fascinated by how attractive um, Patrick Dempsey and whoever plays um, McSteamy um, I was really attracted to them, and then I get really annoyed because there's this loud pounding on my door, and I think it's my sister, and so of course I'm annoyed. I'm like, Maria, you can just <laughs> you can just open the door yourself. But then um, I go up there, and it wasn't her. It was the window washer. And he was and? telling me that my house was on fire. And it was very surreal. Um, I grabbed my dog um, because I wasn't going without her. And then we just bolted out there. And I stood outside on the lawn for like, I don't know, it seems like forever, but it probably was only like an hour. But I was just watching my house burn down. Now, you write that you tried calling your parents and they didn't answer. Um, and you felt oh, they didn't. Like abandoned and yep. um, and alone, and how were you going to deal with this? But I hope, did you, um, did you or one of the neighbors who came around your house, I hope somebody called 911. Oh, yeah. No, I called 911, and I also called my parents, but a lot of people had already called 911, so, you know, uh-huh. they were on their way, but it seemed like it took a while for them to show up, and... Um, my parents didn't answer at first because I was using my neighbor's phone and they didn't recognize the number. Oh. So uh-huh. they were like, I'm going to mm-hmm. just ignore the call. But, you know, mm-hmm. I kept calling and then they finally realized, oh, I should answer this. And everybody took a while to show up. Okay. Well, let's leave it there. And when we come back, mm-hmm. we will go on from this most traumatic event of your life and talk mm-hmm. about how that ultimately led to the book, which is called <laughs> Diary of a Schizo Bitch. And I am sure lots of people who aren't psychiatrists are listening to this and thinking she doesn't sound like a schizo or a bitch. <laughs> so we'll come back. <laughs> We're All here right. with Lily Bennett. Okay, so stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here with my guest, Lily Bennett. That is her pen name for the book that she penned called Diary of a Schizo Bitch. So we left uh, her story. This is a true story. This is a memoir. Um, we left her story at the age of 15 when she is standing outside her house after she, a window washer <laughs> knocked on her door to tell her that her house was on fire. What, where, which part of the house was on fire? The garage. And did you ever find out, or did the firemen ever find out what caused the fire? Um, I think so, but to be honest with you, I kind of forgot. I think it went in one ear and out the other. Um, I believe it had to do something, because it was around the 4th of July, so it's kind of interesting we're having this conversation so close to the 4th, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had something to do with fireworks not being disposed of properly in the heat, and I'm not sure, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did um, When you were starting to have these psychotic symptoms that we're going to get into in a minute, um, mm-hmm. I was just wondering if any of them related to maybe, like, any paranoid thoughts about the fire being set by an arsonist. Sorry, could you repeat that? I said I was wondering if you had any paranoid thoughts, like oh, yeah. the fire was set by an arsonist. No, it wasn't was paranoia. The fire. Yeah, it wasn't paranoia in that way. It was more of, so what's interesting about the fire is the fire wasn't actually what was most traumatic. It was the people who were watching it. Um, all my hmm. classmates in the neighborhood were sitting on the lawns, um, filming it, taking pictures, and laughing. And I was like, mm. this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, and you're enjoying it. And it was wow. a very sickening experience. And so my paranoia after that began to be like, everybody's talking about me, everybody hates me, and this is going into like something, and 
you know, I've had a number of therapists who've given me different diagnoses within the schizophrenia um, spectrum, but one of them was like, paranoia is not everybody talking about you, but, you know, a lot of different therapists have given me different um, diagnoses within that, so I just say I'm schizophrenic, but... um, with that, my biggest paranoia was everybody is talking about me, everybody is laughing at me, everybody hates me. Uh-huh. Which, of course, came from feeling bullied, being bullied before that for the autism. Yep. Yep. And okay. it was so just what? exasperated by, you know, everybody at that on that day taking pictures. Yes, yes. God, how awful. Um, so what happened next? How, what happened right after the fire? I mean, how did your, did you start having, how did your family react to um, your emotions right after the fire? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know how wrong. So they, um, they noticed I was very withdrawn. Um, they noticed I was Staying in my room, they noticed, like, I wasn't talking to them like I normally would, and um, I wasn't having my friends over. Um, but they didn't know I was having psychotic symptoms until that fall I went to school, and I went to the guidance counselor, and I said, Miley Cyrus told me I have a tumor. And huh. upon doing that, that's when my parents first learned that I had psychotic symptoms. Hmm, Interesting. So did you feel um, that it was safer to tell the guidance counselor about it? Or did you want to protect your parents? Were you afraid they were going to get angry or not understand? Why do you think you picked a guidance counselor to tell this um, to first? I mean, it was a lot of things. One is, yeah, I was a lot more comfortable with the guidance counselor. Another was it was circumstantial. I was really anxious. It was during band class, and I was hearing Miley Cyrus and a bunch of celebrities and I just wanted it to be over, so I just said, hey, I feel sick, and then I went up to the guidance counselor, and I just said everything, and the guidance counselor was the one who told my mom because I didn't want to explain that to her, and the only time I explained it to her was when I was explaining it to somebody else and she was in the room. Uh Uh-huh. So what did they do when you announced this? Um, so the guidance counselor was apparently really freaked out because she called my mom and my mom was like, well, what do I do? And the guidance counselor was like, honestly, I've never had this happen before. Um, so she brought in the school psychologist and the school psychologist recommended that I go to a hospital. I forget the name of which one, but that doesn't really matter. I went to the hospital and they basically interviewed me, and it wasn't until, like, past midnight that it was done, but they decided not to hospitalize me at that time because I wasn't dangerous to myself or others. They just put me on Hmm. meds right away. What did they put you on? Uh, Risperidone. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And then what happened? After that, um, they referred me to a psychiatric nurse practitioner which was close to my house, and she was the only one in that area that was willing to see people under the age of 18. So I started seeing her regularly. I'd see her 
I think in the beginning, I was seeing her like once every other week. And I was seeing her and she was doing med checkups. And every time she'd be like, how many voices do you have left? And I'd say, oh, I have three, but that's okay. And I was saying, you know, it's a lot better than before. But she was like, no, we want to eliminate them. And so each time she'd increase the dosage or give me a different med or something. And uh, finally, they went away for a time and they came back later. But, you know, it was kind of gone for a significant portion of my life. Well, like for how long was it gone, were they gone? Um, I'd say they were gone for about six months to a year. I don't remember exactly. And then they came back when I went to college and I was under a lot of stress then. Um, uh-huh. And then I went to the hospital that time um, because I wanted to. I voluntarily went to the hospital and uh-huh. um, I went back and they referred me to a different counselor, a different therapist that I had growing up. And um, she was my therapist for four years and she helped me a lot. She did a lot of CBT and it was really nice. Um, but because of her and because of a lot of other things, I haven't had symptoms since then. Uh-huh. And so are you currently on medication? Yeah, I mean, I've pretty much accepted the fact that I'll probably be on medication for the rest of my life. Um, my husband mm-hmm. and I are thinking about having kids soon, and postpartum psychosis mm-hmm. is actually really terrifying. So, uh-huh. you know, we've been on a lot of medications, and we've talked to my nurse practitioner, the same one that I had before, and just trying to figure out the best way to have a baby and make sure I'm safe. Uh-huh. So what medication are you on now? So right now I'm on Abilify. Um, that's my antipsychotic medication. And then I'm on other meds for mood. Uh-huh. So what... Um, did anyone ever... Um, well, first of all, going back a bit, backtracking... Um, mm-hmm. Anyone in your family, your on your mother's side, your father's side, um, grandparents, uncles, cousins, anybody have any kind of either schizophrenia or manic depressive illness or any other kind of mental illness? Well, they've had mental illness, but never in the psychotic family. So there's been a lot of depression. There's a lot of alcoholism, um, anxiety, and suspected autism with other family members, but not anything under, anything close to schizophrenia. Hmm. And um, so did, I mean, it seems like maybe you've gotten, you were in, you were hospitalized uh, more than once, right? Yeah, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think I was hospitalized once, maybe twice, um, somewhere around there. So between, with all these various therapists and hospitalizations, did anyone, um, did anyone suggest um, manic depressive illness, uh, bipolar? Um, so they didn't. Um, I, one of my um, therapists mentioned um, schizoaffective disorder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... 
for me, um, the one I identify most closely with is schizophrenia, not otherwise specified, or whatever it is, because um, I don't really have the delusions anymore. I don't really have hallucinations anymore. And when I did have delusions, like, I've read the DSM. I've read the criteria for what a delusion is and what types of delusions there are, and none of my delusions fit under those umbrellas. And so it's close-ish to schizoaffective, I think, but it's not it's what? quite it's, meeting sorry, it's all the checkboxes. It's close-ish to schizoaffective, but not quite uh-huh. there. Well, you know, if you're on if you're on medication for another medication for mood, mm-hmm. that would seem to speak to the fact that that there there is an affective component to oh, yeah. whatever it is. So, oh yeah, and I mean, I I say I have depression and anxiety. Um, some therapists put that under the schizoaffective disorder. I mean. Part of the issue is I've had so many therapists with close diagnoses, uh-huh. but not all the same. So I just kind of pick mm-hmm. and choose which one that most resonates with me. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But there's definitely mood stuff there. I I get depressed, especially when it's super cold and it's winter here in Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, just I get depressed when things don't go okay. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. under a lot of mood medications as well. Um, but it, for me, it's like so many diagnoses, it's hard to keep them all straight. Yes, yes. Um, well, you did, um, you know, as far as, to the extent that I've read your book, there were some things that you mentioned that do, um, that are some of the symptoms of schizophrenia, like when you thought that, you could read people's minds and that they could read yep. your minds. I mean, of course, yep. in addition to the um, hallucinations, the voices and the uh, and delusions, you know, mm-hmm. all of those. But sometimes, I mean, you have to sort of pick, you have to be careful to, um, or psychiatrists are supposed to be careful in mm-hmm. um, being getting very detailed histories and being able to pick out which of these um, are you know, in manic depressive illness or bipolar, there are also voices and delusions and mm-hmm. um, not necessarily where you think you can read people's minds and they can read yours, but that some of the symptoms right. are very similar. And so you ha- it's, it's always, you know, it, it can take a long time to sort of um, figure out which, uh, what belongs to what diagnosis. And I think the schiz- also with schizoaffective schizophrenia, that is a more... <laughs> that is schizophrenia light, and I think that <laughs> that you have, if if you assuming that you do have schizophrenia, it is schizophrenia light. So mm-hmm. um, not to not to make light by any means of schizoaffective schizophrenia. No, I actually did. No, a, I hear you. I actually did a I did a research paper on that um, schizophrenia schizoaffective illness defies the dichotomy and keeps DSM-3 guessing or something like that. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with it. Pondering. No, I didn't say guessing. I said pondering. Um, but anyhow, um, so, so and you say that uh, 
the 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 diagnosis. I mean, apparently, I'm not the only one who, um, over the over your life, questioned whether it was schizophrenia. And you said that right. the reason there have been many theories as to why it is or whether it is, and one is that right. you, I mean, as I I originally was thinking that it was PTSD. And one of your one of the theories that you have is about um, how you have repressed post traumatic stress <laughs> disorder and how it yeah. sort of turned into a psychosis. Um, I'm sorry, there must be PTSD in there. And then, yes, Mm -hmm. some of the genes for autism are similar to some of the genes for schizophrenia. Not all schizophrenics are autistic or vice versa, certainly. No, no. And and then the Ouija board. Um, That's an interesting... (laughs) 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 When we come back, why don't you talk to us about the Ouija board? And, yes, you know, you write about how um, that you should never have gotten, that it can be dangerous and that you became addicted to it. And there are stories of people becoming addicted to Ouija boards and um, and becoming possessed, in a sense, believing it so much and, and leading your life according to what the Ouija board says. Right. Um, so, so why don't you... And, and stories about people having to put... Um, like keeping the Ouija board, if they kept it at all in their house, keeping it in a drawer... So that uh, that the I guess the spirits couldn't get out and get them. When mm. we, you don't have to be schizophrenic to be thinking about that. Um, <laughs> when we come back, my guest Lily Bennett, uh, author of Diary of a Schizo Bitch, will tell us about that aspect of um, the differential diagnosis. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866- 
472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I want to get right back to my guest, Lily Bennett, a pen name for uh, the book that she penned for her authorship uh, for this book called Diary of a Schizo Bitch, a memoir, a a real memoir, a true story. Um, we're talking about her life, basically, and all the uh, <laughs> all the intricacies of the different psychiatric diagnoses that she's um, had, and and her family, and her uh, her situation with being bullied. I mean, the, the that picture that you draw of your house burning down and people in the neighborhood just sitting there and laughing and taking pictures of the most mm-hmm. of the worst thing that ever happened to you and your family. I mean, it's just atrocious. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that um, one of the, one of the, as part of your delusions after this fire um, made you psychotic or contrib- exacerbated underlying issues to make you psychotic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. interesting that some of the delusions were about how the voices liked you and how you were super popular and they thought you were really funny oh, yeah. and you were going to be an actress and a singer. And Oh, um, yeah. I definitely had the celebrity <laughs> delusion there. Yes, and, and Justin Bieber was falling in love with you and, oh, um, and then feeling rejected <laughs> by him because he wasn't coming to school to meet you. I mean, these things are I so, know. you know... You can laugh about it now, but obviously these things are so real when they happen and so painful. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, a part of me still hates... Or, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, a part of me still hates Selena Gomez because at the time of the delusions, <laughs> you know, that's when Justin and Selena started dating, and I thought he was cheating on me with her, and you know, <laughs> clearly that's not the case. Like, the emotions involved were real, even if the whole thing wasn't, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting also that in your delusions, you were so popular, you were super popular, mm-hmm. which was sort of the antidote, you know, the mind created that as a, mm-hmm. um, like a comforting measure because really you were feeling the opposite. Here the people we were oh, being yeah. bullied and people were laughing at you and all that. So this was mm-hmm. sort of a, um, a way of trying to make you feel better that the delusions were doing by making you be, feel in your mind so popular. Well, let's oh, yeah. go back to the, um, we started talking about the Ouija boards. Look, tell us about that. How did you get so, into it, first of all? So the Ouija board... <laughs> I laugh about it now, but um, we were living in a rental after the fire happened, and my sister had gone to a sleepover, and she and some friends at the sleepover were playing with a Ouija board that they made out of a piece of paper, and were using, like, some kind of cup to move it around. It was was really weird, but um, she showed it to me, and she was all excited about it, and so I started using it, and I became obsessed with it, and... Um, I would start using it by myself. And, you know, I'm not one to believe in spirits or ghosts or anything like that. I'm very much like, you know, this happened because of a lot of other reasons, not a spiritual possession. But I do think Ouija boards are dangerous in the sense like that for someone who's like me, who obsesses easily, it can become very obsessive very quick. And that's what happened to me. And... I think, you know, the psychosis would have happened anyway. 
Um, but that was kind of an impetus for it to start, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. And so what kinds of things were, were the, was the Ouija board telling you? <laughs> it was, oh, man. Um, it's funny looking back at it now because it was basically telling me, oh, Justin Bieber is in love with you and all these celebrities are talking about you. They can read your mind. You can read theirs. You're so wonderful. And, you know, it got to the point where I got rid of the Ouija board because I was, instead of using the Ouija board, I was just hearing it in my head. So, Mm. you know, it started with the Ouija board and then I kind of threw it away because it was all happening in my head. And that's when my parents started noticing I was very withdrawn because I was having all these conversations in my head. And I thought, you know, they knew that, but clearly they didn't um, because, you know, I wasn't reading minds. Uh-huh. Well, let's go back to um, Timmy Tic Tac. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Tell us the Timmy Tic Tac story. Okay, so I'll give a... So it's changed a little bit over the years, but I always imagine the beginning of the story of Timmy Tic Tac where somebody's giving a eulogy, and I usually imagine the eulogy being done by Shia LaBeouf for some reason. And Shia LaBeouf giving a eulogy, and it's a very petty eulogy because he talks about, like, you know, Timmy Tic Tac, you were my best friend, blah, 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 um, but you died... Um, and basically with Timmy Tic Tac, um, you know, he's fine, people are okay with him, but then, like, in middle school, when you have to j- change for gym, like, people were all laughing at him because his penis was the size of a Tic Tac. And so <laughs> then he becomes very insecure, and he decides to get surgery for that, and then he has, like, this giant penis. And I'm trying really hard to be professional and not to laugh, but, you know... That's fine. You're doing here. okay. You're doing okay. You can <laughs> and then, um, then what happens is he has a lot of girlfriends, and he has sex with one of the girlfriends, and the penis gets stuck there, and he bleeds to death, and um, the woman is stuck with, like, weird junk, basically. Okay. That's it in so a now, nutshell, and then it goes back to the eulogy, and yeah, I I forget exactly how I wrote it, but that's well, that's okay. It in a nutshell. That, that's that's okay. Those are the key points. So you were <laughs> seven years old. You were in the middle of your Oedipal phase. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think um, after all the therapy that you have had? Um, do you, what what does it seem to? What would you? Since you're going to be working as a therapist very shortly, yeah. um, well, you have mm-hmm. done already to some degree in, as you're in your training, so what would you mm-hmm. tell somebody if they told you that they made up the story at seven years old? I'd be, I'd be intrigued. I'd say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, you probably were just discovering your body and you were discovering, like, sex and its forms and you were learning. And, you know, I... The Oedipal Complex, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't believe, like, you know, I wanted to be with my father or anything like that. But I think, you know, I was really um, fascinated by the body, and I was starting to feel 
insecure about my own body, so I just made light of people's bodies in general. And I'm not sure if that's kind of what you're going for, but um, that's just kind of my impression because I don't really agree with the Oedipal Complex very much, but I know, like, it is a part of development, the Oedipal stage and that sort of thing. Okay, well, you're you're a much um, gentler therapist than I am, clearly. <laughs> um, I, um, well, first of all, I do actually believe in all of that, and uh, it's not so much that you had to, you know, literally um, want to marry your father or that people, mm-hmm. little girls, um, it, but it's that little girls want to have their father, their... It, they have a rivalry with their mother to get the love and attention of their father. And similarly for little boys during this phase, they have a rivalry Mm -hmm. with their father for the love and attention of their mother. So, but I Mm -hmm. would, um, I would say that, um, in unconsciously that this is referring to your father who, um, you already said that there was a, there was tension in the house and, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, perhaps you wanted to, in your mind, not necessarily marry him at this point, but like to make his penis smaller, you know, to make him mm-hmm. smaller, to diminish him. Um, and, and then also, also I would um, ask, inquire, I'd start with that and inquire more about that. And um, also maybe since your brother was, so you were seven and he's, so he wasn't, was he just born when you were seven? Yeah, he was an infant, very little. Okay, so he had a very little tic-tac penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and there was sibling rivalry with him. Here was another child coming into the family who you had to share love and attention with. So I would mm-hmm. start with those two areas and, um, mm-hmm. and see, where they, see where they led. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, of course, you, you do believe, I hope, that um, that whether it's dreams or stories that little kids write uh, or make up, they are the royal road to the unconscious. I mean, they all need to be interpreted in some um, psychological way. And that kind of gets to what we were talking about during the break. And I, I want to make this point because it's so important, it's, it's especially if people are listening who have mental illness or know somebody with mental illness. You know, the important thing is people with schizophrenia, especially manic depressive or bipolar illness too, to some degree, but especially people with schizophrenia, any kind of schizophrenia, um, oftentimes get the short end of the stick when it comes to getting therapy. People, you Mm -hmm. know, hospitals, mental health professionals right away give them medication. And yes, you do need medication um, indefinitely, generally. Uh, mm-hmm. if that is your diagnosis, but but people with schizophrenia also need and can benefit from therapy, actual psychotherapy, yep. talk therapy, and um, they get short shrift. And it's so it's really great that you are going to be doing this kind of therapy. I mean, when I was, um, I still do therapy with people who are schizophrenic, but when I was a psychiatric resident at NYU Bellevue. Um, where there were lots of schizophrenics on the inpatient units, um, I would be, I would hold not only individual therapy but also group therapy with them. Re- do real therapy, 
and a lot of the other residents, um, you know, thought I thought I was nuts um, because you know why? What's why are you spending your time? You know, I spent lots of extra time. You can't. I mean, it took a lot. That's the thing. A lot of mainly therapists, mental health professionals don't do it because it takes so much time and it's so much quicker mm-hmm. and easier to to just give somebody a prescription. But um, but really, you can you can go very far with. Um, with therapy, no matter what a person's diagnosis is. Right. And I agree with that fullheartedly. I think, you know, we were talking about this during the break, but just, you know, one of the things that irritates me about a lot of therapists is, you know, they have preferred clients and not preferred clients. And some of those not preferred clients are the ones with the serious mental illnesses. And I'm saying serious with air quotes, but... um, schizophrenia, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, they are very serious, but if we are afraid of working with them, then we're doing them a disservice and we're not being our best selves and we're not helping people. And, you know, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of therapists who were willing to help me. And, you know, I think if we have clients that we don't want to see, we're, one, we're missing out, but two, um, we're unintentionally telling that person that there's no hope for them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and you are a testament to just how important Mm -hmm. psychotherapy is that you have Mm -hmm. um, been able to achieve all that you have achieved and are continuing to achieve and, um, and how courageous, you're able to be to even write this book to begin with and lay it all out there. Have you, um, we're coming to the end of the show, but let me just ask you this. Have you uh, gotten any, like do the people who are training you or the people who gave you the job, <laughs> mm-hmm. do they know about your background or do they know about this book? Uh, some of them know about my schizophrenia. I haven't told them that I wrote a book um, just because, well, there's a few reasons, but the main one is that, you know, it's, it's personal. And when I'm at my job, I like to keep things professional. Um, that yeah. being said, like, if somebody were to find out about it, I'd be honest. I'd say, yeah, that was me. And, you know, I'm very open about my schizophrenia on my personal Facebook. I came out as a schizo right <laughs> around when the book came out. And, People are very supportive on my Facebook and on my other social media accounts. And, um, you know, I try not to tell um, clients certain things about me just because I don't want the therapy to be about me. You know, I want it to be about the client. Um, Yes, absolutely. That being said, I have done some self-disclosure with some clients about, you know, my parents' divorce and stuff, but I don't think... I'd ever share that I have schizophrenia with them. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But my supervisor, sure. maybe. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Well, that makes sense. Well, again, um, Lily Bennett, pen name of the author of a book that obviously I hope you're all uh, tantalized <laughs> by <laughs> and will get, uh, Diary of a Schizo Bitch. So thank you very much, um, Lily, for coming on Dr. Carol's couch and I wish you all the well you you're all the best you're going to be ha- your patients are going to be very lucky to have you because you really understand what it is all about 
So thank you thank very much, you. and thank you all. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 